Hey, Momentum, welcome to week two of On Mission with Jesus. Now, we said for the next foreseeable future, we're using this time as training for our launch team. Uh, we're using this time to get ourselves ready and prepared for the, for the year ahead, for the work that we see that we're going to have. Now, why are we relaunching Momentum? Why are we not just reopening? Why are we doing a relaunch and not a reopen? Well, there's three primary reasons that we're doing this, and they're going to be here on the screen. One, there is a gospel opportunity for us. And it's actually kind of, well, numbers one and two kind of go together. Actually, they all kind of go together, but there's a gospel opportunity for us. Chula Vista is growing by hundreds and hundreds of people each month. In fact, it might even be thousands. I don't know. But there's an opportunity of, for us to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we don't want to just open our doors and hope someone shows up. We want to be intentional about going back out into our city, which is number two. We want to reintroduce ourselves to our city after this extended period of time. And as things start to improve and as things start to lift, we want to be intentional about going out and reminding everybody like, this is who we are. This is why we love you. This is why we love our city. This is why we love Jesus. And third, and this is the one that I'm really excited about here, a deeper and tighter faith bond, a deeper faith and a tighter bond. There's some, there's some stuff where it's like, hey, I don't need to read another book. I don't need to listen to another podcast. The best thing for me to do is to actually get out there and do it. I mean, exercise is this way. You can read a lot, but at some point you want to go out and just simply start putting in the work. Same thing is true with your faith journey. Yes, I'm all for reading. Yes, I'm all for podcasts. But we're going to grow closer together as a team. We're going to go. We're going to grow closer together as a church when we get out there and as a team work together to see the love of Jesus spread throughout all of our city. And that is why I am so excited for us to relaunch momentum in 2021. And so, with it, without any further ado, let's dive into what we have today. Okay. Now, here's here's something I want you to do for me. As we get started, I need you to think of something for me. Okay. Um, I want to tell you about one of the biggest lies that I've ever participated in, okay? Now, here's the deal. I was talking to a friend of mine a couple weeks ago and come to find out they've participated in this lie as well. And I'm willing to bet there's a good chance you have participated in this lie also. What am I talking about? I'm talking about professional family photos. Okay, what are you, what, Jeremy, what are you talking about? What are you, what are you talking about lying? Now, here, here's what I mean. Think about all the time, effort, and stress that goes into trying to look relaxed and calm and like you're having the best time of your life, okay? Most family photos, most professional family photos are a lie. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, I was thinking about this. Like, uh, shortly after our son Axton was born, we decided to get some professional family photos done. Uh, we wanted, you know, a photo of our, our new family with all of our children and stuff like that. And I remember so much the stress leading up to that. You've got to get outfits that all coordinate, okay? Our son is, uh, he's, he's young and we're trying to arrange this around his nap time. And so it's like, okay, we need him to be awake, but we also need him to be well rested. And that's a stressful component. Uh, I remember the first location we went to that we thought we were going to do it. It was like super crowded. There was no way to get a shot of just our family on the beach. So we ended up having to switch locations and drive. Our son fell asleep uh, during the nap and then he was cranky when he woke up. And uh, I remember like there was a rush for it. Now, if you actually look at the photos, if you look at the photos though, it looks like we're all happy. We're all good. We're all calm, relaxed. And when I talked to my friend, I was like, oh yeah, same thing. Like one of their kids was having a temper tantrum throwdown that day. But when you look at their family photos, they look beautiful. And, but 
I'm willing to bet for a lot of us, if we look at our family photos, it was a lot of stress, it was a lot of hecticness, it was a lot of anxiety, and then we capture this beautiful moment and that everything on the, outside, on, the, on the picture looks just great. Now, why do I share that story? What does that have to do with relaunching? What does that have to do with being on mission with Jesus? Well, here's the deal. There's a way we can approach relaunching momentum. There's a way that we can approach reintroducing ourselves to the city where we take the professional family photo approach, where we put all this time, effort, and energy into trying to create this perfect magic moment that we capture. And to the rest of the world, we're all like, hey, yeah, we love Jesus. We love each other. And on the inside, we're like, that was exhausting. I'm angry and I'm burned out. That's one way of doing it. Clearly, it's not the way that I want to do that. Clearly, that's not what I want for you. That's not what I want for me. That's not what I want for any of us. And so what I want to talk about today is like, hey, the work we've been called to, relaunching and replanting a church is, is real work. But there's a way of doing it where the work is joy and we're not trying to fake it for the rest of the world. There's a way of, there's a way of going about this mission that Jesus has us for us, being on mission with Jesus, where we're actually replenished and refueled as we go, and we're not trying to create a fake image for the rest of the world. And, how, and so uh, that's what I want to dive into today. I want to talk about something today that, here's the deal. If we get what I'm going to talk about today, this is one of these things that will pay off for the rest of our life. And so without further ado, we're going to jump in. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1 today. Now, I'm going to set up the stage for you about everything that's been happening in Mark chapter 1, okay? In Mark chapter 1, Mark obviously starts talking about Jesus. He starts introducing us to Jesus. And he goes through all the things that Jesus is doing, okay? Jesus is teaching people, and people are like, whoa, I've never heard this. This is better than any TED Talk you can possibly imagine. People even said, like, they were astounded and amazed at the authority with which he spoke. That's happening in chapter 1. Also in chapter 1, it talks about how Jesus is gathering a group of disciples around him to teach them this way of life that he's introducing them to. It talks about how he's healing people. It talks about how he's casting out demons. It talks about how he enters a town, he heals uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, and then a whole bunch of people from the town say, hey, whoa, she got healed, I've got people I know that are sick, and the whole town fills up with him healing, and he spends, like, he goes into the night healing everyone. Chapter one is Jesus doing a lot of really good things, and his, his ministry starts to explode, it starts to take off, and he is super, super busy. And we're going to pick it up in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. This is what it says. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And then what happens? Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. All right, now we're going to pause and we're going to take a time out here, okay? Think back to the ancient world. Think back to Mark writing out his uh, biography of Jesus, okay? In this time, ink is expensive. Parchment is expensive. You don't waste words on anything you're writing. If you're writing a letter to someone or you're writing anything, you have to be very conscious of every single word you use. You have to be very conscious of all the information that you're doing because this is not like sending an email or text. This is an expensive undertaking. So you tend to only include the things that you think are significant and important. And Mark makes sure to tell us here in chapter 1 as he's introducing it, that Simon and everyone went to look for Jesus, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Why is this so important? 
because this is a reality of doing ministry work. This is a reality of following God. That when you start to follow God and good things start to happen, there's going to come a time where everyone wants a piece of your attention. Everyone wants to see what more is going to happen. Everyone wants to say, okay, okay, we did something good. Now what? What's next? And so when they come, when, when Mark says that Simon and all of his companions came to look for Jesus, this isn't just a casual like, oh, hey, I was in the kitchen. You're in the living room. That's where you are. No, this is a like, they are kind of frustrated and upset with Jesus because they're like, hey, there's all this work to do. There's all of these good things to do, and we couldn't find you anywhere. And Jesus seems to be 100% okay with this. Why? Because the time alone with God was as important as all of the good things that they were doing. One does not replace the other. In fact, one makes the other one possible. When Jesus, when they come to find Jesus, and like, we've been looking for you. Jesus is not concerned because that time alone in prayer, speaking to God his Father, replenishing his soul, resetting himself for the day, was what made all the good work possible. In fact, Jesus, and this is what Jesus replied. He said, hey, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Momentum launch team. Let me just kind of level with you. If we're going to see our city have a lot of good things happen, if we're going to see a lot of lives changed, if we're going to see a lot of good things happen for the people of this city, we're going to have to adopt the same lifestyle as Jesus. If Jesus thought that it was super important to get time alone and pray, that's got to be true for us too. And what I want to kind of do is spend the rest of our time together today is just drilling down to about why is this so important? Why do we need prayer and time alone with God? I've got four main reasons that I want to share with you. First one simply being this. We can accomplish more with prayer and time alone than we can without. We can accomplish more with prayer and time alone with God than we can accomplish without. Think of it this way. If you and I were going to go and uh, like hike the Pacific Coast Trail, we were both going to do this, okay? And I told you, hey... I'm not taking any water and I'm not taking any food because that's just going to slow me down. I'm just going to march through. If I stop to take water and if I stop to take food, that's going to slow me down. That's going to take up time. I'm just going to keep marching through. And you're like, no, I'm going to pack some water and I'm going to pack some food. Okay. This is an obvious example, but you get it. Like, I'm not going to make it very far. Sure. When we both start out, I might get a little further ahead of you because when you stop to take water or when you stop to take food, I keep walking. But long term, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to collapse. I'm going to pass out. Shoot, I'm probably going to die. And you're going to keep being able to go. You're going to keep being able to move on because you are taking time to refuel. You are taking the time to replenish. This is, the, this is what prayer does for us. When we're spending time alone with God, when we're spending time in prayer, it allows us to refuel, to reset, to keep going. Prayer is a fuel that we need. We can do more with it than we can without. Tied into this as well is the fact that we're not God. And this is, what I, this is important to remember because here's the deal. We can't actually change anyone else's life. We can encourage people. We can love people. We can provide goods and services for people. But what changes a soul is God. Changed lives is a spiritual 
undertaking. It's a spiritual enterprise. And so it, it's kind of crazy for us to think that we can do a spiritual thing without spiritual fuel. We've got to spend time connecting to God because God is the source of the power that we need to see lives changed. We can't do it under our own power. There's nothing humanly that we can do to do this. And here's the deal. What we're undertaking this year and as we replant and relaunch momentum is going to be draining, okay? It's going to use up time. It's going to use up energy. It's definitely worth it, but it's not going to be the simplest, easiest thing ever done. And if we're going to succeed at this, and if we're going to do this in a healthy, good manner, we're going to have to stay connected to God. I love what Brenda Salter McNeil says about this. She says, if we are to have longevity in this work, which is a movement and not a moment, we must take care of our physical bodies. And more importantly, we must take care of our souls. If we want to see things like homelessness ended, if we want to see things like systemic racism eradicated, if we want to see loneliness and isolation disappear, those are going to be lifetime pursuits in the name of Jesus. And we're going to have to make sure that as we do this work, because I love what she said, it's not a moment, it's a movement. It's a movement that existed far before us and it is a movement that's going to exist far after us. And we are going to have to take care of our souls as we go about doing this. One of the best ways we take care of our souls, time alone, prayer with God. Second thing, our lives have to be worth imitating. Let me say that again. Our lives have to be worth imitating. Here's what I mean by this. We already all have jobs. We all have families. We all have stuff that we're doing, okay? And then on top of that, we're adding in relaunching and replanting momentum, okay? Now, if we're not careful, we can live at such a busy, hurried pace that someone who doesn't know Jesus looks at our lives and like, why would I want to do what you're doing? I'm already busy and stressed and you're adding religious stuff on top of that. That doesn't look fun to me at all. In fact, so much of what our culture defines as a good, successful life is honestly really kind of crazy. I like what Wayne Muller says about this. He says, a successful life has become a violent enterprise. We make war on our own bodies, pushing them beyond their limits. War on our children because we cannot find enough time to be with them when they are hurt and afraid and need our company. War on our spirit because we are too occupied to listen to the quiet voices that seek to nourish and refresh us. War on our communities because we are fearfully protecting what we have we do not, and do not feel safe enough to be kind and generous. Guys, if anxiety and overwork and frustration and busy hurry is what's normal, then one of the best things that we can do is live a style of life that doesn't buy into that. Prayer and time alone with God allows us to live at a rhythm and a pace that is healthy and sustainable. And it's got to be more appealing to the world out there. If we go about replanting, if we go about relaunching momentum and our souls are drained and our anxiety is high and we're just saying, well, we're doing all this for Jesus, but secretly we're dying on the inside. Why would we want to invite anyone else into that? Why would they want to become a part of it? But if we're doing good work and we're refreshed and refueled as we go about it, 
and we're living with a rhythm and a pace that says, yes, there is work that we're doing. Yes, it takes up time. Yes, it takes up energy, but I've got happiness. I've got joy in the midst of it. Then that is something that anyone would want to be a part of. Meaning, purpose, and joy are things that people crave. We've got to live in such a way that those things are possible. And this kind of leads directly into the third point. Prayer is not just about, in fact, it's not even primarily about getting more efficient. It's about learning how to live as a loved person. Let me tell you something that I see happen in church world a lot, okay? Someone new moves into town or they connect to a church or something like that. And they say, hey, you know, I'm, I, I like what you guys are doing. Let me, I want to be a part of it. And they start serving in some way, shape, form, or capacity. And they're good at it. They're like pretty good. And people are like, hey, you know what? You're really good at this. We'd like to give you a little bit more. And so they're like, sure, yeah, okay, I'll take more. I mean, how do, you, how do you say no to doing good stuff for God? And so they take more. And so they keep adding onto their plate. And they're like, hey, I'm doing this for Jesus. I'm doing this because it matters. I'm doing this for God. And they add more and they add more. And then one day they've added so much and their lives are so out of balance that they burn out and then they get really mad at God. And they're like, how could you do this to me, God? How could, how could, the, how could the church do this to me? And they're really mad. They're really frustrated. And they're like, I, was, I thought I was doing something good. And oftentimes I'll, I'll talk to them and I'll be like, hey, did, did you pray about saying yes to all these things? Well, no. Okay. Did you, did you ask God if this was the rhythm and the plan that he had for you? No, I mean, I just thought it was God. You got to say yes. And, and it always breaks my heart when I hear that because like, I think back to the very story that we were looking at at the beginning when, when Jesus was in spending time in prayer. Like at the end of the time when he prayed, he got up and went to another town. And I, 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 we, we, have, we can't forget how significant this is because here's how they, they connect. It would have been very easy for Jesus to just set up shop in the town that he was already in. I mean, after all, people were healed. Uh, there was plenty of people that were coming to him. He could have just stayed right there, set up shop, and been like, hey guys, come see the amazing Jesus and all his healing powers. Learn from him and grow. But he went and talked to God. He went and spent time with his father. And from that time of prayer, he was okay, like, hey, yes, I could stay here in this town and keep building what I've been doing. But then he tells his disciples, he's like, hey guys, actually, we got to go to these other towns because they need to hear about it as well. And I've got to preach there. There's people that need to be healed there. So even though I could stay here and keep building, 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 I got to go there. The point of this is that because he was staying in step with God with prayer, he learned what to say yes to and what to say no to. As we go forward and replant and relaunch momentum, there's going to come a point in time when the opportunities that we can say yes to are going to be greater than the, our capacity and they're going to be greater than what even God has for us. And the only way to discern what to say yes to and what to say no to is to simply go about spending time in prayer. Because when, from that, we learn that, okay, wait a second, God loves me. God is interested in me. God cares about me, not necessarily the work that I can do. And me being present with God in this moment is going to keep me from getting bitter and burned out. I love what, um, what John Mark Comer says about this. He says, if there's a secret to happiness, it's simple. Presence to the moment. The more present we are to the now, the more joy we can tap into. Here's what I mean by this. There are times when I go to play with my son and I'm crazy distracted. 
because I've got work to do. There's things around the house that need to be done, stuff like that. And it's not enjoyable for him and it's not, and it's frustrating for me. In fact, he's actually reached the age now, he's almost three years old, where he'll be like, Daddy, put your phone in your pocket. And anytime my son says, Daddy, put your phone in your pocket, I know I failed. It, I, and I, and so I, I just do. I put my phone in my pocket. I'm like, okay, wait a second. I need to be present here in this moment. Because here's the deal, guys, and here's the secret. The work will never be done. There's never going to be a point in time when we're just fully able to say, hey, you know what? I can devote myself fully to relationships because there's not a single thing left to be done. The house is perfectly clean. There are no chores to be done. All the tasks at work are done. There's no emails to reply to. There's no text to, to, to respond to. Everything is completely done so I can be here now. No. If we're going to be present to the moment, it's realizing, hey, there's always something more that can be done. There's always something good that can still be done. But my existence is not defined by the amount of stuff I do. It's defined by the fact that I am loved by God. And when we go back in time and pray, when we, when we take time out of our schedule to spend time alone with God in prayer, it is a reset reminder that we are loved. In fact, uh, this quote from Paul Miller is something that I've held on to. In fact, I'm pretty sure I've preached this I, every time I talk about this because it's that important. He says, learning to pray does not offer you a less busy life. It offers you a less busy heart. And that's, that's what we're going for. Because we're not going to find some great balance where there's no such thing as hard work. And we, you know, I, I sometimes run into this thing where I'll talk to somebody and, I, and they'll be like, Jeremy, I would love to be a part of uh, what the church is doing. I'd love to be a part of this work, but I just can't. I'm busy. And I'll be like, well, tell me about that. And they're like, well, I've got kids. And I'm like, so do you think that only people without kids serve? Or they'll say like, well, I've got a job. I'm like, wait, so do you think only independently wealthy people serve? And they'll be like, or I'm, uh, I'm not at the right stage of life. I've got a lot going on. I'm like, wait a second. So you think like only older people or younger? Like, and what it, I used to get angry about that. And then here's what I realized. They're trapped in this cycle of thinking that at some point in time in their life, they're, they're going to find a time when they're not busy. They're going to find a time when they, like, like, don't get me wrong. If you're independently wealthy, have no kids and have a lot of time on your hand, please, please email me. Please text me. I would love to set up some time to talk. But for most of us, we're going to figure out, okay, how do I still do the good things with the schedule I have, with the responsibilities I have? And the only way to do that is to stay deeply connected in times of prayer with God. And this, this leads actually to the fourth and final thing I want to kind of talk about. Like, why do we need to pray? Prayer keeps our focus on God and not the results. Prayer keeps our focus on God and not the results. Here's something that, that could very easily happen to us as we go about replanting and relaunching, okay? We could see a lot of really good things happen. We could see some people come to Jesus. We could see some relationships built. We could see some communities start to change. We could see some addictions broken. And as that starts to happen, the dangerous thing is that we could start to be like, well, how do we keep this going? Like, how do we, how do we maintain this? How do you know, shoot, our name is momentum. How do we keep the momentum going? How do we keep this going? And I love what Brene Brown says about this very mindset. He said, she says, when our worth gets attached to what we do, we've locked ourselves in a prison of pleasing, performing, and perfecting. One of the best things about prayer is that it reminds us, I am not my results. I am not the work I do. 
One of the reasons Jesus got alone and prayed so often in the morning is because the work he was doing was important, but it cannot define him as, who, as for his value or who he is to God. Because here's the deal. In Mark chapter 1, everything's going awesome. Lots of stuff is happening. In John chapter 6, a bunch of people tell Jesus that he's crazy, that the work is too hard, and they leave him. They say, I can't do this anymore. And so almost everyone abandons Jesus. And if your worth is tied to the results that you're getting, on the days that everything's going great, you're secretly worried about how do you keep it all going. And on the days that things are going bad, you're secretly blaming yourself and thinking, I'm not good enough. But when we go back to prayer, remember, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's God that loves me. It's God that defines me. It's his love that surrounds me. My results are actually up to him. My job is to faithfully love God and to faithfully love other people. And what happens after that? Not on me. That's for God. And so I want you to, I'm getting ready to share three truths, okay? Actually, I'm getting ready to share three lies and a truth. And I need you to figure out which one of these you need to hold on to as we go forward, okay? First one, here's the lie. I've got so much to do, I can't waste time with solitude and prayer. Here's the truth. If that's, if that's you, if you're like, yeah, man, that's, and honestly, this, this is me every Monday morning. There's so many things have piled up. You know, it's been Sunday. There are conversations to have after that. There's stuff to get done for this week. I got to get going. And so for me, this is one that I'm tempted to believe far too often. The truth that you need to hold on to in that case is that prayer and solitude enables me to do far more than I could on my own power. We've already talked about that. Maybe for you, though, this, this is the second lie. I can't practice prayer and solitude. Too many people need things from me. You know, maybe you have a lot of employees that are depending upon you at work. Maybe you've got a couple kids running around and you're thinking about, oh, man, I've got to get breakfast ready. I've got to, you know, I've got to get their lesson plans for school uh, knocked out today. I've got to get all these things done. I don't have time for prayer and solitude because so many people need so many different things from me. And here's the truth. You will have more to give and you will be in a better position to give when you yourself are being replenished. If you're someone who's a people person and a people pleaser, you've got to hold on to this truth. That that time alone, that time that you spend with God, that time you spend talking to God and getting your soul renewed and getting your soul refreshed will allow you to live in a much better place to serve the people around you. Third and final one. Let's see. Oh gosh, I lost it. Um... Prayer isn't going to change anything anyway. What's the lie? Prayer isn't going to change anything anyway. The truth. Prayer might not change the situation you're in. That's 100% true. You might not get out of that situation. The thing might not change at work. The home situation might not get better. But that's not why we pray. Prayer changes me. Prayer might not change the situation, but it changes me. It keeps me from bitterness and it helps me live fully alive. And so if you're someone who says, I don't pray because it doesn't do anything anyway, it helps you. Too many people who don't pray get bitter at the work that they do. Too many people who don't pray aren't living fully alive. Prayer doesn't often change the situation, but it does change us. Now, I know some of you guys are listening. Some of you guys are thinking like, you're like, 
Jeremy, I love everything you're talking about, but I honestly don't have time to get away for two hours every morning, spend time in prayer, out in a lonely garden, you know, so like that. They're like, you're like, I'm, I'm doing good to get 20 minutes max to myself a day. And if that is you, I want to give you a plan for what this can look like in 10 to 15 minutes a day. I want to get, I want to, I want to, I want, I want to share with you. This is how you can stay refreshed and refueled. Here's a way of prayer that can give you this in 10 to 15 minutes. I'm not saying this is the only way you need to pray. I'm not saying this is the only type of prayer you need. I'm not saying you don't need to do anything else. I'm saying if you're looking for that type of refreshment, refuelment as a regular rhythm and a regular part of your life, here is a, here's a, a strategy, a plan that you can use. Okay. It's our prayer and solitude plan. Step one, get alone. However you need to do this. If you've got kids at home and it's like nap time and you've put them down for a nap and you've got 10 to 15 minutes and that's about all you can get, fine. That, that's fine. Take it. If you're a husband and wife team, you know, give the gift of 10 to 15 minutes alone to your spouse on a regular basis. Hey, I'll, I'll take care of the kids. I'll take care of government this stuff. You know, if you need to um, get to work 15 minutes early and stay in your car and the, in the parking lot or whatever, that counts. It, there's not a special holy way of doing this. It's just get alone. 10 to 15 minutes. Number two, get a passage. And here's what I mean by that. Find a passage of scripture that renews and refreshes you. For me, I love reading through Psalm 103. It reminds me of the truth of God. It reminds me of how loved I am. It reminds me of the fact that God sees me and does not expect me to be superhuman. And so I love just going through and reading Psalm 103. But you find one for you, a passage of scripture that reminds you of, okay, I am loved by God. Get alone, get a passage, get it off your chest. Spend a couple of minutes giving to God everything that you are worried and concerned about for the day ahead or for the week ahead. All of the things that you're like, this is bigger than me. I don't know what to do with this. I do know what to do with this, but I'm afraid of what it's going to cost me. And so you just give it all to God. One, because he can handle it. Two, because you're not supposed to live your life full of anxiety and worry. That is one of the beautiful benefits of prayer. We give it to God. God can handle it. And then number four, give yourself the gospel. And here's what I mean by that. On a regular basis, I have to remind myself of what is true about God, what is true about me, and therefore how it, imply, it impacts the situation I'm facing. So like a lot of times I'm like, I don't know if I can do anything about this. I don't know if it's going to turn out okay. So I preach the gospel to myself. Okay, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, I am fully loved and accepted. Nothing I do or nothing I don't do changes the fact that I am loved by God. So however this situation turns out, my standing before God was taken care of by Jesus. I preach the gospel to myself. Why? Because it reminds me that the situation I'm facing is not what defines me. The thing I'm worried about is not what defines me. In your, in your own life, in your own situation, make it a regular habit to start preaching the gospel to yourself. And that's it. That is a way of spending time in prayer and solitude alone. It can take you about 10 to 15 minutes a day. In fact, a lot of times it may be even, it could take less. And in a lot of cases, it could take a lot longer if you wanted it to. But it is a simple and effective method. And here's the deal. This is like exercise. You, if you exercise and work out on a regular basis over the course of three months, six months, a year, you're going to see a lot of change. On any one particular day, you might not notice a lot. And that's fine. You're not doing it wrong. Same thing with prayer and solitude. On any one particular day, you might do that and be like, you know, honestly, I don't feel that much different. There was no aha moment, you know, 
the lights didn't dim and there wasn't like this light that came down from heaven and was like, well done, Jeremy. That's probably not going to happen. In fact, that's actually never happened to me. But over time, the repeated usage of this makes me a more calm person. It gives me a more, it gives me more spiritual energy. It gives me the focus I need. Over time, this is how we live so that we can go into our city and see really good things done and do it in such a way that it's refreshing and refueling. At the beginning of this message, I told you about the, the professional family photos that we had done. And I love them. They're awesome. They look good. But I also told you about all the stress that went into making those happen. I'm also thinking of another photo now, though. This is from four or five years ago when uh, my family went to uh, Disneyland. There's a photo of my daughter and I on uh, the Tower of Terror. And we are having a blast. It's like, you know, we're like, oh, you know, it's like the, the, the face all pulled back, the laugh, the scream and stuff like that. And here's the thing. To go to Disneyland took a lot of time, took a lot of effort, took a lot of money. You spend a lot of your time standing in lines. There's a lot that goes into it. But when you captured that photo, there's this moment where it's like all of that work and effort is producing joy. We can go about this replanting and relaunching of momentum in one of two ways. We can try to look at all the work and effort and be like, hey, I've got to put on a fake happy face. Or we can say, hey, I'm going to do all of this work and effort and spend all this money and I'm going to let it produce joy in me. And one of the main differentiators between the two is going to be how well we stay connected to God as we go forward. Because what I want for us is to undertake all of this. And yes, it's going to be work. Yes, it's going to be hard. But if we're staying connected to God, yes, it's going to be joyful. And I can't wait to do it with you guys. Love you. And we'll talk to you again next week.